when you return home from a week at a convention and you feel ever so slightly emotional about it, you know, you know it's been a good week. It has been the Society's 2020 convention in London. I think you can hear it in my voice. I'm listening to this in the headphones and I can hear the huskiness in my voice. I am hurting. My feet are hurting from the walking. My head is hurting from the learning. My sides are hurting from the laughing and my heart is hurting just a little from having to leave. And if that weren't enough, well, it's cost me a new pair of Converse as my current pair developed an annoying, if slightly comedic, squeak everywhere I went. And in the end, Sarah simply wouldn't walk with me because she couldn't stop laughing. So with all that in mind, this is the Mastering Portrait Photography podcast. Okay, so I admit it. I completely and utterly overestimated how much time I would have available for recording podcasts at this year's Societies. Societies. I'm going to have to practice saying it. Societies Convention, uh, from which I've just returned. Um, I managed to record just one, and that was with the wonderful man that is Gary Hill. Uh, that episode will come out as soon as I've figured out how to cut it, as we, rec- we recorded it in the bar, and it's a very happy blend of interview, facts, opinions, and the raucous sound of laughter laughter and drinking, and, and some background music, and frankly, an awful lot of interruption, much of which will prove impossible to remove. So I'm sort of facing this, this interview that's a little bit daunting. Maybe I should just publish it uncut, and then you can cut it all out in your own heads. Well, we'll see. Uh, firstly, I must say hi to the very lovely Sarah. And that's all I know about her, Sarah. Uh, When we were judging, I'd just taken a break. We'd all just taken a break in the judging. And Sarah came up to me. Now, at that point, I didn't know her name. And I'm always, always panicking when someone does this. As I'm not great um, at remembering names. And I honestly didn't recognise her face. But she clearly knew me. When eventually I, I gathered up the courage and said, Do I know you? She shook her head with a huge grin and said that she had recognised my voice the minute I had been handed the microphone to critique an image. It's very weird, though I admit quite lovely, to be recognised by voice rather than face. I guess the good news on that front, for me at least, is that while I may look older every year, I'm sort of optimistic that my voice may well stay younger than my middle-aged mush. Anyway, to Sarah, thank you for making my week. Uh, It really did. It was really very, very pleasing. I'm not very good at posting uh, thank yous and all of that stuff that I'm seeing going on uh, on Facebook just at the moment. Everyone's posting everywhere. Uh, I'm just not great at it. I'm trying to keep up and I'm tagging people and saying hello and things, but it's just I'm not a Facebook junkie. And so this, I suppose, is my way of posting a great, big, fat, huge thank you to everybody who I've met over the past week or so, everybody I sat alongside, everybody I drank with, everybody I laughed with, uh, and and, of course, in particular, Terry... Phil, Juliet, Colin, and all of the guys from the societies, or as I used to know it, the SWPP, uh, who made the whole thing possible. The convention really is a massive melting pot of photographers of all shapes and sizes, and I mean that 
quite literally. And that is the great joy of it, really, that that I, as a photographer, as a portrait photographer, get to spend time with commercial photographers, landscape photographers, fashion photographers, pet photographers, boudoir photographers, macro photographers, wedding photographers, architectural photographers, wildlife photographers, sports photographers, event photographers, and one or two illustrators thrown in for good measure, and from all corners of the world as well. Uh, The Societies of Photographers does an incredible job of bringing us lot all together and providing a platform to rub shoulders, listen, learn, impart and socialise. I simply love it. If you haven't been to one before, you really should make an effort to get there next year. 2021, no idea where it'll be held yet. I don't know if the dates have been released yet. I'm sure they have somewhere. Uh, But certainly worth going. It's well worth the investment in time. Now, somebody did ask me uh, this year, what I felt, or did I feel that spending the time at the convention was worth the time taken out of my business? And I kind of that confused me a little bit because I've never felt that way. For me, the convention and other conventions like it are not me taking time out of my business. This was me investing time in my business, purely and simply. Now, I've come back to the studio with more energy and drive and enthusiasm uh, and ideas as well than I have felt for the past 12 months. So how is that not working on my business. Quite frankly, it really is me working well and truly on this little business of ours. And so to everyone who came to the masterclass and the superclass that I ran, thank you. You kind of, you you do these things, you do these workshops and you hope that people enjoyed it. And so to have all of you lot engaged and interested and making it an awful lot of fun makes the whole thing worthwhile. So thank you to each and every one of you. Too many to mention, uh, but it is greatly appreciated. And I really do, myself and Sarah, really do hope that you all took something away from it that you can use. Uh, this year, for the first time in a very long time, I actually bought some kit at the show. I know, I did it. I rarely do this because actually... If you search around very often, the deals you can get online are slightly better than the deals, or at least as good as the deals that you can get uh, at the show. But this year, I had a compelling reason to need some stuff, and uh, it was was all there, and they had good prices on, and frankly, the people I was dealing with were lovely. So the kit I bought is the kind of kit that you don't like to have to buy. You know the stuff where you're just replacing old stuff? Um, I would much rather have bought something exciting that was going to expand my photographic horizons, but no, uh, my bag needed replacing and my speed lights had come to the end of their life. The, the bag, the wheels are wobbling everywhere I go. It rattles and you can no longer put the handle down on it. It just stays fully extended. So it's time that I had to do it. Uh, that said, now the kit is here. It is lovely to have a bag whose handle actually drops down properly and doesn't look uh, like it's been through a war. And I also have a shiny new pair of Godox V1 speed lights that actually fire every time I trigger them. Uh, my old Nikon SB900s, they owe me nothing. I think I've had them for 10 years or possibly even longer than that. Uh, I bought them right at the point they were launched and I've been using them ever since, but they now are battered and they're becoming a little bit irreverent in their performance. So it's definitely time for me to get something new. So I've got these Godox V1 speed lights and some kit around them. Cannot wait to have a play. Uh, but on terms of reviewing them and all that stuff, uh, I'll save that for either a podcast or maybe a video or an article uh, on mastering portrait photography in due course. But the greatest thing of all that I've carried home uh, from the convention, of course, are the memories. Now, I had the pleasure a real pleasure of judging with some incredible people at the convention. And so please forgive me in this particular podcast as I give each 
of them a shout out. Each of them is worth going to see. If you get a chance to see their work, they're all incredible photographers, each in a different sphere. But uh, look up their names and go and have a nosy. Uh, Tony Hewitt, who was our chair, wonderful guy, um, is an Australian uh, and just gentle, a gentle guy with a big smile and had this lovely way of keeping us on track, keeping us energised, keeping us on point and giving us sugar when we needed it. Uh, it was quite funny to watch some of the world's uh, top photographers sucking on lollipops uh, while they assessed some of the world's greatest photographs. Uh, but it was well, and it does work, actually. <laughs> the sugar worked. Uh, we all needed it. Uh, to Rocco Ancora, who's flown all the way over from Melbourne, I think it was. Uh, another Australian fantastic photographer, lovely guy. Angela Adams and Imelda Bell, who both just made me laugh uh, throughout the session. Gary Hill, the legend that is Gary Hill. Lovely to spend time with him. Stuart Wood, whose work I've been around for many years now. A great deal of respect for the guy. Uh, lovely, lovely photographer. Uh, Jocelyn Conway, whose sense of humour is to die for. She's just ridiculously funny uh, and had a lot of fun with her. Paulina Dutchman, who knows what she likes. First time judging for her, uh, but she was absolutely wonderful to be sat alongside. Uh, very persuasive when it came to the challenges too. And of course, finally, but not least, Marco Dutka, uh, with a really amazing name. He lives in uh, Plymouth now. And uh, he is just wonderful, a wonderful character to be around. That team of judges, those nine judges made my, or me included, I suppose, those eight judges and me made the judging an absolute pleasure. One of my all time favourite weeks. Um, it really was the kindest, fairest and most supportive panel of judges. I think it's right up there with the best I've ever worked with, though I'm guessing if your image didn't score so well, you might not agree with me. But I promise you, every challenge that was raised was raised was every challenge that was raised was made to raise the score of an image. Every comment that was made was made to help the creator of the image. And every single point that was awarded was there to help raise the standard of photography. So trust us as a panel, we really were working to benefit photographers. Uh, we had the benefit of a completely new system this year. And if you were at the convention watching the judging, which is incidentally one of the best ways to learn and develop photography and printing skills uh, i'd love to hear what you thought so if you were there please do email me it's paul at paulwilkinsonphotography.co.uk i'd love to hear your thoughts uh, but on the whole as a judge i think it was a huge huge step forward Having the digital protection of the image alongside the individual scores for the audience to see really did make the judging a whole lot more interesting and engaging. And I say that because even as a judge, there are nine judges, but there's only five active at the panel at any one time. So while we were sitting out as judges, all we could see was the digital image and the scores. And it is really, really interesting. It was interesting to see the images. It was interesting to see the scores. And it was really interesting to hear the comments. And so I'm guessing if I found it interesting and engaging, so did anybody else who was there. So it's a massive, massive step forward. However, <laughs> however, it, it does also make it a whole lot more nerve-wracking. Now, I don't know that everyone realises that judges feel an awful lot of pressure to get your scores Right. None of us, none of us like our images being scored incorrectly. And we're the, the panel are all judges or the panel of judges are all photographers, too. So we know what it means when you have an image and you don't necessarily agree with the score. So trust us, we really, 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 really were working under pressure to make sure uh, that everything came together and everything was 
exactly as it should be with the images, the scores reflecting the images that we saw. So a huge thank you again to the team, Juliet, Phil, Terry and Colin and the whole team, the whole team from the societies, all the print handlers, all of the guys who helped out in the masterclasses, the models, everybody for making everything at the convention such an incredible learning opportunity. Uh, I really do know how much work goes into something like that. Uh, so there were nine judges on our panel, uh, five at any one time, as I've said, with four sitting out, ready to jump in. So that's the process. There's always four judges available. So if, if for any reason one of the judges feels they can't judge that print, whether it's it might even be their print, occasionally prints are uh, coming through from one of the judges on the panel, or it's someone they've mentored, or it's a print they maybe they printed it, doesn't really matter. Or sometimes a judge simply felt out of their depth with a particular genre. And so there's always four of us sitting ready to be used. Um, so this following list, I do this every year at the end of end of uh, judging. I do this every year and talk about just some of the things that I noticed uh, along the way. So uh, here, the, here you go. Here's the things. I uh, hope this is useful. Uh, take it in the spirit in which it is intended. Uh, it's just some ideas for those of you who are thinking of entering competitions in the future. Number one. Given I'm talking about a print competition, this one uh, clearly is uh, critical. Choose your paper carefully. The matte finish of the paper, the contrast of the paper, the texture of the paper, whether you have deep blacks or not, all of these things, all of these things matter. Now, one image did come up that was on a semi-gloss paper. In fact, it was, it was a, a glossy semi-gloss, so on the glossier end of semi-gloss, but it had got a, a texture on it. And... From where the judges were sitting, the texture was being reflected by the daylight, the white light that we use, the correctly coloured, the correctly colour balanced light that we use to see the print, to assess the print in the light box. So you had to move around to get rid of this texture that was reflecting. And I doubt for a minute that the judge will have considered that was going to happen. But as a judge, I've seen it a few times now. So I'm telling you this, just be careful. If you're going to use really strong textures, I suggest you don't have textured semi-gloss papers. Textured matte papers are fine. I would avoid any texture on anything with any amount of glossiness. Uh, and now one thing I have done over the past year or two is I've updated my view on matte papers. Over the few, the few years when I last did one of these updates, I think I said that I'd be careful of matte papers and I would be careful of matte papers, but, but papers have come on a bunch as has the printing technology. And while I have always been cautious, I do now think that they're incredibly effective if your image is of the correct type. Uh, and I'm printing a lot of matte paper here, stuff, a lot of matte stuff here as well now. Uh, but you do have to prep your image carefully. Uh, maybe at some point I'll do a prep video on mastering portrait photography. But do make sure that when you print it, you see the detail you would expect to see. We, we scored a few images down a little bit where blacks were showing just as one big block of dark grey fairly common as it happens so on to point number two which is printing learn how to print uh, i know it's quite hard and it's very techy but if you're going to enter print competitions surely it'd be a good idea for you to learn how to print now i attended i have to say another shout i attended an excellent masterclass uh, by satnam dosage uh, on printing at the um convention this year and learn just a few incredible little nuggets to try utterly brilliant so if you're looking for someone to teach you about printing uh, i'm guessing he's a really really good guy i don't know if he teaches outside of the convention uh, but it might be worth dropping him an email brilliant chap 
brilliant, brilliant images and brilliant uh, masterclass. Masterclass. Now, if you're not comfortable printing them, uh, then of course you can get other people to do it. Graphy Studio, uh, Loxley, the Loxley Lab, uh, Digital Lab, uh, to name just a few. All now offer incredibly high quality printing on matte papers as well as on gloss so uh, if you're not comfortable and you don't want to do it yourself then just go to an outsource it takes a little bit longer you will have to fine-tune your process uh, but it's certainly likely to give you uh, better quality results while you're still getting your head round printing in the studio uh, mounting and display so in a print competition the whole image is assessed including the way it's presented now nine times out of ten the presentation goes unnoticed. Occasionally, the presentation is so beautiful that we all pick up on it. It's not marked as such, but it certainly supports the image. Very occasionally, very occasionally, the print score may well be lower because the presentation was not up to standard. So one thing I would say, for instance, is do not print your images all the way to the edge of a 2016 board. Too many prints this year had battered edges. And if the edge of the print, the actual bit we're assessing, is scarred, torn, battered, bruised, then of course it's going to get lower marks. I mean, what, what would anyone expect? It's a print competition. We're assessing the print and it's got bruising. So be very, very careful. And if it was down to me, I would suggest you do not print to the very edge of a 20 by 16. Nearly, not quite, but nearly every print that made it through to the display walls this year was in some form of cut mount overlay. So a basic mat overlaid over the image on a backboard. And that's a front and backboard as well, they're sandwiched. If you don't do that, if you don't, don't mount your print down onto the backboard, you have every opportunity, every opportunity for it to bow outwards uh, through the aperture or worse, it can get damaged uh, while it's being handled. Though the guys at societies are wonderful and they handle them incredibly carefully, it doesn't take very much for it to bend and flex and get scarred. So just make sure your presentation of your image is of the utmost high quality. You owe it to yourself to do that final mile. On to point number four, hands. Now, if hands are in your shot, learn how to pose them and how to light them. It was amazing how many utterly incredible images were let down by poor posing, overly bright fingers, etc, etc. Um, bad nails, grubby fingers, those kinds of things. Particularly if it's a portrait shot, it's very rare that the fingers should be brighter than the face. And we saw so many examples of this. So be incredibly careful. Make sure that the lightest face, if it's got a face in it, the face has got to be the brightest, but almost certainly anyway. Now, if you're doing fashion work and it's about the nails and it's about rings, all those things, then of course that's different. Um, from a portraiture point of view, which at the end is what this podcast is about, it's very, very rare that the hands need to be brighter than the face. So just get the hang of how to pose hands and figures, fingers. Uh, coherent colours, number five, coherent colours. Uh, the use of colour in an image is crucial. The way you tie a palette together and either use colour as a way of harmonising the image and bringing it all together or using bright, vibrant colours to separate out different subjects, it's entirely up to you. But learn what colours work and then figure out 
how to get if you're doing portraits figure out how to get your clients into those colors it's not always easy in a working portrait studio um it can be really tricky when a family turn up and they're all wearing not just colors but colors that all clash obviously you can only do so much by switching to black and white uh, here now these days at the studio i have a couple of shelves of black t-shirts in sizes from two years old up to 82 years old so that if I feel I need to get an image of someone's face and I don't want anything else clashing with it then at least I do have uh, some black t-shirts uh, alternatively of course there are various ways of color switching in Photoshop but in my opinion it's much harder to do that and it takes up a lot of time um, in front of a screen where you could simply uh, guide your client but do learn about coherent colors and how they add interest to an image uh, number six uh, the center of interest make sure that you lead the viewer to whatever it is that you want them to see whether it's a face whether it's a relationship um, who knows but do learn how to do that make sure there is a clear center of interest something you want to say something you want your image to say your composition is crucial so go and learn about cropping and composition and how to layer images so that your the viewer's eye is led through it uh, one or two images were really let down uh, by not being clear what it was that we were supposed to be looking at. Uh, muddy prints and muddy colours, a lot of that. And some of this did come back to Matt Papers. Now, Matt Papers and me, uh, we had an interesting relationship over the years. Um, but nowadays, there's very little excuse for the prints being muddy, um, unless deliberately that's the look you're going for. Uh, but wherever we saw muddy prints and muddy colours, and it's even more exaggerated now when we have... Um, the originating file up on the screen next to us now not that they were color calibrated but very often in this year's judging we would see on the screen a really punchy contrasty saturated image and then on the print we could see that it was muddy so assuming that was the file that was used for the print we know the print isn't great so just watch for that make sure your colors when you look at that image they are what you expect do go out just step outside with your print and look at them in daylight after you've settled them for 24 hours or longer wait for the print to dry properly it takes a while it is literally 24 hours um, and then step outside on an overcast day or if it's a sunny day step outside in a north facing window uh, and just have a look and check the print is as you would expect it uh, the use of plugins and effects a lot of those we've kept seeing overlays lots of overlays again if you're going to use overlays uh, make sure that you know what you're doing with them uh, because once you start to see them it gets very hard not to see them uh, so just make sure if you're going to use plugins and effects that you've got them well and truly under control and they're subtle always underplay it don't overplay it similarly with textured backgrounds and the like so on to uh, blown highlights and blocked shadows. Now, if you blow highlights on your image or you've blocked up areas of shadow where we would expect as judges to see detail, you are very, very unlikely to see your print get a merit. Uh, why? Well, it usually shows that the technical aspects of handling the camera and the exposure haven't been done correctly. Now that said, that said, if you, for instance, photograph a black dog and a black background or a white dog and a white background for that matter, as long as we can see that what you're trying to do is stylistically deliberate, then of course it will get awarded. But if you've got a white sky, when we can see you're trying to do a landscape, or the highlights on someone's cheeks have blown out to white, but it's a normal portrait, then it's very, very unlikely, very, very unlikely 
to make it through to merit. So just watch out for blown highlights and block shadows. Get your exposures right. Get your post-production techniques right. Uh, and then you stand a lot more chance. Uh, number 10. We're on 10 now. That's 10 things so far. Uh, vignettes. Be watchful of your vignettes. If we notice a vignette, then probably it's going to get marked down a little bit. Just a little. Not a lot. Unless it's a terrible vignette. In which case, quite a lot. Uh, vignettes generally... You want to not notice they've been done. All photographers use them, but you just don't want to notice them. And the best way of noticing that I've found is if you go into something like Lightroom or Bridge where you can see a grid of your thumbnails, look along those thumbnails and it's much, much easier to see a vignette that's overly done when it's a small thumbnail. So have a look at that. Watch your vignettes. Uh, lighting, careful and creative use of lighting. Understand how light plays off the face understand uh, exactly what it is you're trying to say. Quality in lighting, lighting to aid um, composition, lighting to aid um, leading lines, for instance. So the use, good use of lighting doesn't have to be complicated. Some of the best images I saw this year were clearly lit by just one light and yet still, still stunningly compelling images so get out there get on those lighting courses and learn how to use light if that's your bag uh, here's number uh, number 12 number 12 only enter the best image from a set you'd be surprised maybe how many times we would see three or four images that were clearly of the same model by the same photographer in the same shoot same outfit same everything just maybe a slightly different pose and of course which one do you think is going to have the impact just the first one after that we're regretting the fact that we may have rewarded the first image too much there's nowhere to move to for the later images or maybe not awarded the first image enough because the other images clearly demonstrated that was the best one of the set only enter your best image from a set and if you're not convinced you know which one it is then get somebody else to help you now of course you can use different categories to help you in this instance so if there is you know, a creative portrait category and a black and white category. You can put two different images, but from the same set in those two categories, um, but they will be marked against slightly different criteria. So just watch for that. Only, only, only enter the best image from a set. Number 13, please do be open to what the judges are saying uh, in, during their challenges and their critiques, because at the end of the day, the panel of judges I was on, it was honestly, it was a privilege to be on the panel of judges. Everything that was said and done was simply to help. And on top of that, it's a, the score, the final score, is a panel. There's five of us marking. And whatever score comes out, probably it's not going to be far off the money if you stuck it against another five judges. So if you fundamentally disagree, that of course, of course, that is your right. But please listen to what the judges are saying because there might just be some nuggets of info in there that will really, really help. Uh, edge detail cropping, just be careful of this stuff. Whatever's near the edge of the frame, crop it carefully or leave a little bit of breathing room around it. Um, lots of odd things would disappear at the, at the sides of a frame. And just leave. When you actually looked at it, the image would just look a little bit like things were odd at the edges, uh, cutting through circles, cutting through bodies, cutting through wheels, you know, the kind of thing. Um, keep it in, keep it out. Be very careful if you've got to go through it. Uh, stray hairs, etc. Number 15. Uh, just be careful with these, particularly if you like a little bit of rim light or hair light, if you are of that type of photographer. Um, it's much easier 
to correct it on the day than it is to correct it in Photoshop. And it's certainly a lot more pleasant than to hear a judge drop marks off your image because you failed to notice it. Have a really, really good look. Every time you set up a shot, have a good look and make sure there are no stray hairs and bits and pieces. Uh, number 16, split catch lights in the eyes. This is one of those odd little nuggets. Now, I've spoken about this before. If you like to reduce the contrast across your lighting in your studio and so you use two two strobes or two lights, one either side of a face, uh, usually with something like a two-to-one ratio or something like that, be very careful that you don't leave split catch lights, two catch lights, one either side of the pupil in the eye. Not every judge minds, and one or two judges specialise in that uh, from a fashion photography point of view, but if you look at their catch lights, they're usually massive softboxes. They give a really pleasing rectangle around the edge of the eye. If you have two squares or two circles or two hexagons in your eyes, probably, probably it's going to score lower than you are hoping. So watch for split catch lights. Uh, number 17, uh, the black and white processing. This actually came up mostly in the baby section. We were photographed, we were judging rather newborns and quite a lot of the black and white processing. It appeared to me and to some of the other judges that a red filter was being used. Now red filter is lovely for taking the red out of the skin, but it also takes the red out of the mouth and lips. And so the babies can look a little bit odd. It just looks almost like an infrared photo. Be careful with your black and white presets. And if, it, if you take a long, hard look at the image, make sure that even though you may have removed uh, like a rash or redness in the cheeks by using a filter, that you haven't diminished the mouth area. If necessary, either learn a different preset or learn how to stack black and white conversions so that you can make the best of every part of the image. Uh, focusing, number 18, make sure the eyes are sharp simple as <laughs> number 19 which kind of follows on from number 18 over sharpening do not over sharpen your image if you've focused everything correctly and have taken a sharp image point number 18 you don't need much if any sharpening at all in the final image a lot of the time we were seeing this was a comment i think this was, might be the most comment most common comment i heard from judges the image is over sharpened i can see the halos i can see that kind of crystalline structure you get it's brought up the noise in the sharpening don't over sharpen skin tones number 20. in color images watch for skin tone shift again it was something satnam brought up in his print masterclass is depending on how you evaluate your printed image what light you look at it under you may well be color correcting in a way that leaves purples or greens in the skin tone on the page. Again, once the judges get it under a calibrated light, one of these high CRI evaluation lights, we'll see it. Um, and it usually, if it's not part of the creative, the creative integrity of the image, it will usually get marked down. Uh, number 21, I, this is an odd one, um, but when I walked around the exhibition of images that had got a merit, so they're hanging in the exhibition with Sarah, one thing that leapt out at me was quality. Now I know that's abstract, I'm really sorry, I don't know how to describe it better than that, but quality. There's a quality to the print, there's a quality to the composition, there's a quality to the idea, and there's a quality, a quality to the overall. 
presentation, sharp cut mounts, beautiful printing, beautiful posing, beautiful lighting, beautiful Photoshop. Don't ask me how to define it precisely, but it's quality. It's slightly indefinable. But what I would suggest is go and immerse yourself, same as I did, in stunning imagery. I took the time to study each and every print that had been hung, because of course I'm only judging the portrait categories. I went and had a look at all of the others as well, because it gives you a sense, you kind of absorb it. Go and look, get a baseline for what real beautiful quality looks like. That's exactly what I did. So that next time I'm printing, I've got all of these images from other incredible photographers in my head. Uh, spacing of your key elements, number 22. Be aware that on paper in a photograph, certainly when you pose people, they will always look slightly further apart than they did when you were in the studio. If you leave a little gap because, you know, you weren't sure how well the brother and sister got on, that's going to look like a very big gap on a print. So just watch for your spacing, um, gaps between things, where you position things, spacing of the key elements of your picture. Uh, 23, a printing specific or an editing specific one, banding. We saw a lot, <laughs> a lot of banding. Uh, various uh, blue skies will always show banding if you're not very, very careful as will, for instance, if you photograph circular pillars, you know, rounds, as the light rolls round it, goes from light to dark, you may well see banding. So just learn the Photoshop techniques to sort that out. Uh, usually it means handling your print in 16-bit, not in 8-bit, though that, of course, does mean um, you have to have bigger files and you have to think of it right at the beginning of the processing. You can't suddenly switch your image at the last mile into 16-bit and hope that'll work because by then the banding is all ready present. Uh, false blur and focus points or focus depth of focus. We saw quite a few images this year where it was quite apparent that the background had been blurred and items had been popped into that blur um, so falling leaves was the most common one I saw, but there were others. You must, if you're going to do that kind of blurring, you must follow the rules, the physics of a lens. Or the judges are going to spot it and they're going to mark points down. Particularly where we saw one image, uh, I think this was critiqued on the day. It was beautiful. It had a child, I think, blurred background. But there were some leaves that were either put in in post or they were there in the original image that some had been blurred and some were sharp. The problem was the sharp one was closer to us than the blurred one, which was closer to us, the viewer, than the child who was sharp. So it became quite a clear, quite apparent rather, that you've got two planes of focus. And of course, that's not natural and it jars. So just be really careful with that. It looked beautiful. But once you dispel the myth, once your message has been lost in that technical technical defect. Of course, your marks are going nowhere but downwards. And that's a real shame because some of these images were stunning. But once we picked up on the something not quite right, it sits in your head and all of us have, we have a duty to make sure another photographer doesn't come to us and say, but you gave that marks because of whatever it was. And you can clearly see that the focusing is wrong. So be, be, really, be really, really careful of that. If you're going to do false blurring, just make sure you replicate the uh, actual behavior, the physics of a lens, okay? Uh, number 25, this really only came up this year because for the first time we have a file, you have to submit a file with your print and put it up on the screens. It's amazing, it's great to have that, but of course it really does highlight 
if you're doing something in the printing that fundamentally shifts your image to be careful and if it were me I try to make sure the file that is I, I send in is as close to the print as I can get it and by that I mean I would prep the file so that it prints exactly as I want it rather than constantly adjusting all of the print settings until I get what I want I would do it in the file you can of course you can do things like completely darken your image in the print driver all the print drivers allow this I wouldn't do that if I were you, certainly not if you know the image alongside is going to be on a big screen. I would make them as close to identical as I can because it just helps everybody. And also remember that if your print does really, really well, the organisers of the competition, whichever competition it is, are going to use the file to put up on the screens at the awards ceremony and they're what's going online. And if they look nothing like your print, it's only you that's going to suffer. So I would just make sure you make sure you, you adjust your file rather than the print settings at the time finally creativity and some originality um, just be creative and original it was it was amazing how few out there images we saw and one image in particular came up and all of us I think just loved the fact it was so different we hadn't seen it before we'd seen everything else in one form or another I think but one file in particular, beautiful portrait, really unusual, unusual angle, unusual crop, unusual treatment. Um, now it was let down by some technical aspects in the end, but oh man, were we all just so happy to see um, this print come through. So just bear that in mind. So overall though, it was just magical. We saw so, so many stunning, stunning prints so if you're one of the authors um thank you whether your image got a merit or not there was something in every i honestly every single image that i had the privilege to judge had something i could learn from in it and something i could enjoy more importantly in it um, and i think every judge i think every judge would tell you exactly the same thing i hope they would uh, i don't think i'm out of step there so thank you one and all uh, for those of you who are not part of the convention, go to one. It doesn't have to be the SWPB, sorry, the Society's Convention. It can be any one of them. Um, I will be doing my best to get to as many um, conferences, conventions, meetings as I can this year. And my this year's drive is all about learning. Uh, and I'm incredibly excited to be on that particular journey. A uh, quick response to, there were quite a few mutterings coming in our direction that said there weren't many lifestyle images. And by lifestyle, really, I think people mean the kinds of pictures where you have a family and um, woodland maybe and some grass or sky or beach or whatever it is. And I think, I think there's some truth in that. We didn't see many come through. And obviously for someone like me who started out as precisely that, a lifestyle photographer, I kind of understand why photographers who predominate in that area are a little bit confused as to what's required and why those images don't do so well. Or maybe they're not entered at all. Well, what I would say to you is this. Get someone who isn't your client to look at your images. Get someone who doesn't really know you to look at your images. Because in the end, it's your job as a photographer to convey a message, something, whatever that might be. And... The more powerful a message you can make it, the more likely an image is to do well. Happy, smiley, beautiful pictures, the kind of pictures that I have on my wall of my family, don't necessarily convey a message to anyone other than the people 
in those images. And I would just suggest that you get someone else to have a look and get them to describe what happens. Does their heart rate climb? Do their hair stand up on the back of their neck? Does it make them connect with your image? Because if you, and this is true of all photographs, no matter what message you're trying to portray, if you can't get it across to the viewer, it's not the viewer's fault. It's not the judge's fault. It's my fault. If I can't get that to happen, it's my fault. So just go and ask people to react to your images and see where you get. Take some serious shots, take some moody shots, take some happy smiley shots and get someone you trust or maybe get someone you don't know. I don't know how you do that, but get someone you don't know. Maybe use mentoring system, you know, like use the mentoring facility of the societies or the MPA or or send them into the Mastering Portrait Photography Critiques because you need someone who wasn't involved, wasn't attached to that image or those people to tell you how they react to it. And if the reaction isn't really strong, and really intense, probably those images are not going to do so well. And that's why lifestyle images, lifestyle portraits, family portraits don't tend to do quite so well because it's much tougher to get that strength of reaction across in joyous images than it is in moody images. Rightly or wrongly, human nature, whatever it might be, maybe, and I know that doesn't make it easy for people who specialise in that stuff, uh, but that's just my opinion. And on that happy note, uh, one of the things that I think this week that made me smile the most was bumping into James and Catherine Mott, who were utterly utterly excited about coming on the Two Fellows workshop that myself and Dave Stanbury are running once more in Castello Ciccone in Italy in the Dolomite Mountains high above Venice. It's Graffy Studios sort of I think it said workshop. It's not really. It's just a castle. It's huge. Uh, so it's a chance to come and be completely immersed in social photography, weddings and portraits, back to back. Um, it starts on Monday, the 11th of May, and it finishes on the 15th of May. Uh, you have myself, portrait photographer, Dave, wedding photographer, Sarah, who co-runs the business with me, Jane, who co-runs the business with Dave, and Karen Massey, all at your fingertips. We're going to talk nothing but the business and creativity of social photography. So we're going to do portrait shoots, wedding shoots, lighting, posing, styling, framing, cropping, production. Sarah will create one of her beautiful slideshows and show you how to pitch your images to the client to maximise your sales. Dave will show how to create a wedding album, how to piece it all together and again, how to make a commercial success of your wedding photography. It's really intense, but it's incredibly powerful. Now, we're out there with Graffy, and a big, 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 big thank you to Graffy Studio. They supply all of our albums here at the studio, and they're just wonderful. Uh, so to Jeremy and Dario, thank you so much for letting us do this once more. Uh, I just know everyone who comes with us is going to love it. And on top of that, we have the pleasure the pleasure of having Martin Baines back with us. Now, although Martin these days isn't at Graphy Studio, he's now the CEO of uh, the BIPP, uh, he is being allowed out to play. So he's coming up the mountain with us. And that, of course, adds another flavour. So we will have people from Graphy Studio around us to talk about the albums and the product. But now we've got someone from one of the biggest associations, one of the most eminent associations in the world, 
who will be on point to talk to you about the professionalism of the industry, qualifications, uh, mentoring and all of those rather juicy things. So it's just a fantastic opportunity. It's £795 for the week, though you do have to get flights and B&B. But flights are not that much money these days and B&B is whatever you want to make of it. Uh, you can find more information at the twofellows.co.uk. That's the two fellows, which is one word with the number two in the middle, the twofellows.co.uk. Uh, if you have any questions, please do just give us a call. Uh, this podcast please do subscribe to the podcast it can be found just by googling Mastering Portrait Photography Uh, we're on iTunes and all the usual please leave us a review if any of this is useful please leave us a review if it's not useful well email me and tell me what would be and you never know what I might do is get you into the studio uh, to record something with you and I can answer your questions and observations directly Um, and that is really all I have to say except for one final footnote and this goes to Sean Conboy I just wanted to say thanks for making us laugh quite so much. You are such a nice guy. It's such a hoot to be around you. And this is one footnote that you can't out footnote me on because there's no way of you doing it. Genius. Until next time, remember, be kind to yourself. Take care.